Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy, and I think I'm compassionate. (laughs) And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And here we are. This feels like it's been forever since we've recorded. I know we put out episodes every week, but man, what an exciting summer for everybody. Yeah, we take vacations. Not everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You had tomatoes. But I'm I'm happy for you guys. (laughs) Yeah, growing tomatoes, doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, she's over there making her own tomato sauce, and <laughs> was in like pesto or cilantro recently. Yeah, I made pesto last yeah, night, right. and I made pear uh, pear streusel with the pears I grew in my yard. It's, See, it's that's been a gardening sad. summer, and then my blog was on gardening because I was, that's all I really did this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Had to write about something. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be recording. We had that free week. Hopefully, people use that to catch up on an episode they haven't listened to yet. Um, and today we're going to talk about compassion, spiritual principle. Right? We're in August, the eighth month. Uh, compassion. One, I don't think I hear about too often in a, on a regular basis in meetings. Honestly, like you hear the honesty, the open mindedness, the willingness, the the courage, the surrender. Like I don't hear compassion. You got to come much. to a Buddhist recovery meeting. Yeah, we talk about say. compassion all the time. Really. <laughs> mm-hmm. Huh. I think that's kind of one of the core tenets of Buddhism, isn't yes. it? Compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you hear about it a lot in, in like 12-step meetings, though? Not by that specific wording, but the idea behind it is there. I mean, that's the whole premise of still one addict helping another, you know, being there for the newcomer. I mean, that's all based in compassion. But you don't hear the specific the word, right. the word, or it labeled in that way. Right, right, okay, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. That is kind of like the core of the entire program. <laughs> we just don't use the right word for yeah, it. Yeah, we just don't ever say that. Um, so interestingly, if you look up compassion, the definition is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others, which I feel like is a terrible definition for compassion because. I don't know. I guess in my world, uh, I've been programmed to think of sympathy as kind of a bad thing, and especially sympathetic pity. That sounds terrible. Hmm. Yeah, that does sound kind of kind of rough. Yeah, just that sympathetic pity. And, you know, using those words, and then I was thinking, as you said, it, they don't use compassion in 12 steps so much, even though clearly that's what you're doing. Maybe because it does have like a, I feel like 12 steps tends to lean towards like the tough guy image and you know you're not compassionate that's for wusses Hmm, you know hmm. and like we don't pity around here (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting uh you know if you said that i don't know to me five years ago i'd have probably argued with you that that was a more aa thing than anything because i do feel like i hear those stories of like that that hard knock old timer like sit down shut the fuck up put the cotton in your mouth that was in your ears and all that kind of stuff like if we want to know where to drink we'll ask you where the bar is or whatever i don't know but i i guess honestly when i look at the way i see a lot of 
people in 12 step interact with people who maybe are doing something slightly different, it, it does feel like there's a lack of compassion all around, honestly. Maybe if we named it more often, if we said the word, we'd practice it better in different ways. Yeah. And in some of our conversations, I think that's what's missing when people relapse or when, you know, people overdose and die. Like it's the compassion part that's missing. It's like we we want to rationalize it and justify it instead of being like, man, that's fucking terrible and we should do something different about this. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So like when you see all those, uh, the posts and there was a, a couple of them just recently in my circle of people who are in the programs of like, oh, we lost another one. Oh, you know, the disease is so strong. Oh, people got to surrender and all that stuff. It's like, damn, where, where is the compassion? It just all seems to be this like helpless. Oh, the disease got another one. Like, let's do something let's be more compassionate maybe right and my understanding of the difference between like sympathy and empathy and compassion is that compassion is whatever sympathy or empathy but with like action attached with you want to mm -hmm. help someone in their suffering you want it moves you to do something about their suffering not just feel pity for them you know you want to do something different right right so if we go into the the kind of sciency definitions, the ones researchers would create to try to measure or, or use in research the idea of compassion. So we've got uh, compassion is the recognition of another's suffering and a desire to alleviate that suffering. Kind of what you just said. Uh, says it's often brushed off as a hippy dippy religious term irrelevant in modern society. Rigorous empirical data, though, supports the view of all major world religions. Compassion is good. Um, and another set of researchers defined compassion as the feeling that arises when we are confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. So, yeah, there is this idea, right? However we want to uh, define it, there's this idea of there's a feeling of, oh, my God, someone is suffering and I care enough that I want to actually take action and do something about that. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I think that's where the whole uh, idea of harm reduction comes in you know what i mean it's people seeing that suffering and wanting to try to do something about it besides shaming people and making them feel like you know you just need to stop <laughs> like, right okay well what can we do to help people in their suffering that kind of brings up an interesting question for me too just this idea of like in order to be a part of that compassionate act of harm reduction, right? I like how you, you say harm reduction is that compassionate piece, the idea that we want to do something for these suffering people that maybe aren't yet ready to enter some program of recovery, right? It feels like though in that program of recovery, and this I'm not saying this is wrong, but it feels like you have to actually step outside and not leave the program yourself, but you have to step outside of the program in order to do the compassionate acts. Like they're not available within the program in that form, at least, which is kind of weird. And in, in one of your readings there of the definitions, how it was, uh, they said it was like hippy dippy, you know, missing from our society. Like in, in when I hear that and I would think Jenny too, it's like, yeah, that's the fucking problem with most of what we do <laughs> is that it lacks compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's the problem in most people's everyday life. We need more compassion, whether it's in our 12-step fellowships, whether it's in our work environment, whether anywhere, like everywhere, it's going to make things better. Right. So, so I'm, I don't know why, but I'm picturing like driving down the street 
and I get mad at the guy that cuts me off. And maybe that's an area, like maybe all these times that I'm getting frustrated that people are imposing on my life, maybe there's room for compassion in those. And, and I don't know why that came up when you said that, but I was just, <laughs> I'm like, have you ever seen somebody speeding along the road and they're like really happy and excited? Like usually they're pretty pissed off when you're driving fast, Stressed. you know what I mean? So maybe like recognizing their struggle in that instead of. Definitely. And like, so compassion, you practicing compassion in that situation, it helps you. You know, like, because you're not going to go into an angry state, you know, which may go into like, oh, man, my life's all messed up. I have such bad luck or whatever. Like, you can just, if you have, if you think about the other person and what they might be going through, like, Oof, must be some kind of emergency. I mean, that's not to say getting angry is wrong, you know, like, because they shouldn't be driving recklessly, you know, but. Um, Was it only compassion if you like yield over and get out of the way or is it still <laughs> compassion if you just go, oh, man, he must really be in a hurry and don't get mad? I would say, yeah, it's still compassion. Just, yeah. you know, just don't get mad. You're like you're understanding they have their own struggle. Good luck to you. You know, I wonder if it's even don't get mad. Like, I, I guess for me, that would come with practice, I think. So if you're just setting mm. out on like a compassion practice journey. You're not going to be perfect at first, you know, but as you come to like roll with it, like, oh man, they have their own thing going on, you know, like it'll come more naturally. So right now, sure, you get angry right away, but if you practice compassion more, when this happens to you a year from now, it's not even, you're not even going to flinch. Well, I think the thing that I like about it is in like past iterations of this idea in my mind, it's always like kind of creating this false narrative around that person's life. Oh my God, their kid might be in the hospital. Oh my God. Like these reasons, right? And with this version, I feel like I can just say, wow, I don't really know what they're going through, but chances are if they're driving like that, they're probably in some form of suffering, man, because people like that's how when I drive like that, I'm suffering. <laughs> I'm not a very happy, pleasant person. So just... It's almost like I don't need a story now. I can just honor that they're suffering, and that's got to suck, man. And, and mm -hmm. maybe I don't know any action to fix it, but maybe I can just, you know, send words out into the universe for them. I know we talk about that as being useless, the hopes and prayers. But, like, if nothing else, like, I don't have to carry that around and use my own frustration later on my own family when I get home because the guy – you know what I mean? Like, that compassion, the action isn't necessarily to benefit them. But it is a desire to decrease their suffering. And, a, and like, what does it talk about in, in one of our steps? Like, where we can't make those direct amends, willingness serves in yeah. its place. You know what I mean? Kind of like that same thing. Like, I'm willing to help that person end their suffering. It's just I'm not going to, like, chase them down in my car and, like, pull them over and try to talk to them about yeah. it. Yeah, it's a little psychotic, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> just, just a little so crazy. Jenny does, in your experience with buddhism or recovery dharma is there like do they have a definition for compassion or is it more oh. general like is there like a specific like this is compassion yeah i mean like uh i don't have like the dictionary definition in front of me but the buddhist dictionary yeah. yeah you need the buddhist <laughs> i should have probably looked that up i should have anticipated this question but yeah it's just um having concern for another person's suffering you know kind of you know the dictionary yeah. definition that jason read well, and I found it interesting because in some of my research for this episode, I went online and because I don't like to read, I listened to some TED Talks and some other speeches. And it was, uh, I'm going to say, more than half the top ones that I found were different Buddhist people that were speaking on compassion. <laughs> I was like, wow, they got a much better handle on this than we do. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's funny. So interest. I, I went, you know, I looked up some research, but I always try to look through our 
our NA's literature um, and see what they have to say. And, and something occurred to me when I was looking up compassion, and it didn't necessarily occur to me with the rest of the spiritual principles we've done so far, but I think it holds true for all of them. They're mentioned a lot, but there is like a severe lack of instruction on what they actually mean or how to practice them. Like so many times in our literature, it's like, yes, we practice these principles of humility and honesty and all that. Honestly, I feel like we kind of know what it means, but even though I'm less sure I know what it means anymore, but <laughs> it's interesting. It's like, it's almost like a noticeable lack of any real instruction on how to do it. And I was in, I was like, wow, really? Why? <laughs> I've come to think that's almost by design because just as we talked about when we did an episode on honesty and how like there's this general, I'm going to say bad belief when you hear in meetings, when you hear about honesty, it means you're supposed to just do it all the time, no matter right. what. And as we discussed in that episode, like that's not always true. You know what I mean? Like there are times where it's, you might not necessarily want to be honest or that might not be the principle that you lead with, you know, going into a situation. Mm. And that's, you know, where having a sponsor, working steps, figuring out what your morals and values are and what's important to you, because you and I could be in the same situation and I could feel like I was being honest and you could perceive it as being dishonest. And, you know, are we going to get down to who's right in mm. those situations or is it more important that I live true to the values and principles that I think are most important. Right. Right. I don't know. I was sitting there thinking that and I'm like, it's interesting because the, the, the part, there's part of me that's like, man, there's way too many pieces of literature in our program and it's a money grab and they just keep making <laughs> new books. And then I was like, we need a book about like <laughs> spiritual principle practice and training. <laughs> like, well, and I don't know about you, but this, the idea of compassion, let's say. So I've heard people say like oh if you're not getting hurt by newcomers you're not getting close enough and i know people that have taken newcomers into their homes and taken them into their businesses and given them jobs and all that and i wouldn't do that in my life mm -hmm. you know i have kids at home and a wife and we've done different versions of that but not you know whatever I would practice compassion in a different way, <laughs> you know, right. like that's not necessarily the way that I would feel best, you know, inviting a newcomer or someone who's potentially in like a dangerous situation, either into my home or into my place of work. I just, right. that's not how I would apply that. Yeah. I'm, I might pay for their recovery house rent. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Or help them find a place or hook right. them up with a roommate or, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, but you know, that that could be perceived as I don't have enough compassion. I'm not willing to open my home and take in, mm. you know. So, I mean, these things, they can mean slightly different things to different people. Right. I, I appreciate how the 12 steps leave that kind of up to interpretation because it definitely varies by area and people. Like, you know, you go like from country to state to county to even like little cliques, like different different people gravitate towards whatever people work for them and, and their system is going to be vastly different than somebody in a different part of the country or even somebody across the county. Like it's just so personal. I think it's, you know, like the spiritual values that we've discussed here, like the nitty gritty, I don't think that should be written in stone. That should be up to interpretation between the people, you know, mm. so I'm glad they're vague about that. And actually the, you know, the vagueness about, um, 
spiritual principles, behaviors, and how to act them out is actually how I came to the Buddhist program because I found that my interests and what I wanted to work on was more in line with Buddhism. So hence why I went to Refuge and then Recovery Dharma. Um, but some people stay with 12 Steps because they, they really like that Christian vibe that it's not supposed to have, but definitely does have. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, yes, it does. But like, because of what you said, you, you know, that, that thing you kind of pointed out, Jason, that they're not, they don't spell it out for you. That's what, why I left and found something that jived with me more, you know? So, yeah, or I think of my own understanding of some of those principles and how, you know, they would have applied a few years back and then how they apply in my life now and how different they are. Whereas if they were outlined yeah. specifically, it might feel like, oh, I have to rigidly stick to this, you know, even though it's not working for me. It's fascinating because I, I picture that there's sex. S-E-C-T-S, not sex. <laughs> but uh, That's portions. good you clarified that because... <laughs> <laughs> I picture their sex. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Doggy style? Is that <laughs> right, doggy style. <laughs> there it is. I knew we were coming to that. Um, no, I guess I just... I, I picture that there's portions of people who are out there in the world who are practicing Christianity in the way, I guess in my head, like the very basis of Christianity which looks almost exactly like Buddhism at its core, right? Just this like, hey, this is what I believe, but like really I just love people and I want to love everybody as if you were all Jesus, you know, right next to me. And like, I don't know. It's fascinating that when we feel these draws towards like, oh, this is what speaks to me, that we go a certain route, even though I feel like all routes kind of actually are the same. It's just we delve out into, you know, so if I go and I decide I want to be Catholic, well, now I got to be tied to this idea of like the Virgin Mary is really important to my, you know, religion and all that. But if I just practice like a basic Christian theology, I guess, or whatever, like there are no real rules. It's just about being kind to each other. And I guess I, I get the same vibe as I get from Buddhism, but, but you didn't say like, oh, I'm feeling drawn to this. I'm going to seek out a more, you know, rudimentary uh, religion or Christian program. You were like, nope, I got to go to Buddhism. And I don't know. That's always well, interesting. interesting not to get too far off. But <laughs> yeah, with compassion, you know, when you look at at least Jesus, like he's the main character, he practiced compassion with people like that's the stories that people tell were all his acts of compassion going out and healing the sick and feeding the poor and going out you know with the homeless and the prostitutes he didn't just pick on their suffering he went and actually did acts to help their suffering right but that doesn't seem to be what gets celebrated at least in my experience of we tell right. those stories and we yeah. talk about jesus and, and how and, great he was right, and how we're how supposed to be like him but and... it's like like you say it's almost like that word compassion is missing in those conversations because that's what makes him such a heroic character i think you just solved the problem so i've always wanted to create a religion <laughs> right and i've always thought like <laughs> what religion is gonna is gonna like you just pointed out what I think is the flaw of Christianity, and that's that Jesus is the main character. I think Jesus should be a side character. You know what I mean? Like best supporting well, technically actor. Technically, God is supposed okay. to be the main character. <laughs> well, they're, but they're the same, kind of, sort of. Something. I don't know. All right, yeah, so we're getting way off. Time. No, I want to hear more about your own religion. 
<laughs> I'm interested. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I love this storyline. Keep going. I your first member. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. I want to. I want to check it out first before I sign anything. <laughs> so, uh, I guess coming into this episode, you know, we've laid out the definition. But what is your feelings of like through your experience in, in your recovery? What has compassion meant to you? Has it shifted over time? Has it changed? Have you gotten a better understanding? What kind of things led you to that understanding? Like what things have you thought about compassion? So I, in my life, I have been compassionate, you know, I guess throughout my life. I'm not going to give myself like five gold stars, but who I wasn't compassionate to was me. Mm. So when I started getting an understanding and uh, like of what compassion is and what it is practice, what the practice of compassion is what it really looks like. And then it was suggested, how about compassion for yourself? Because I wasn't forgiving myself for all the bad acts. I wasn't understanding that, you know, I drank to cope with trauma and difficulties and I didn't really know better. You know, I, and so the compassion I was giving to everybody else in the world had to turn in on me. I mean, and I was like, I wasn't perfect, com perfectly compassionate to everybody, but I certainly gave more to others than I gave to myself. So when I, when I understood compassion and I turned it in on me, that helped the recovery go on, like to forgive myself. Cause I was carrying a lot of like self-loathing, mm -hmm. you know, for the way I lived. Um, and I, I wasn't getting anywhere as long as I hated me, you know? Hmm. And that really makes me wonder, like, and, and I'm not trying to, to take away from your, you know, four and a half gold stars of compassion <laughs> practice, but I, I do wonder if, so I, I tend to think we treat others like we treat ourselves, right? It's like a, a mirror of the way we treat ourselves. So if you're really critical of others, chances are you walk around in your head really critical of yourself all day. So for you right. to be able to be compassionate to others but not yourself, it's almost like that comes from like a – that still comes from a low self-worth place. Like, oh, I got to let people off the hook in order for them to yeah. like me. You know what I mean? Totally like, like a it was a broken – that's the word I was going to use, people-pleasing. It mm. was like a broken system. Yeah. Okay. But I was really uh, able to like empathize with others and I would, you know, like try to be this like, great friend and, and take away from my own self-care needs. I didn't, I didn't have the words for this. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. speak about it the way I am now, but like I was taking away from my own needs to help others because I really felt for them. Like they need this, but like, you know, you haven't had enough sleep for like a month, you know, like <laughs> why don't you rest? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I heard a quick story on self-compassion and I'll try to keep it brief, but you know, there, if you picture a kid standing there let's call the kid becky you know and she gets to go to choose between two schools you're supposed to make a decision there's one school that says oh we're here to teach and educate with love and patience and if she makes mistakes we're going to help work through those mistakes and you know maybe get some new perspectives and then there's another school and they say we are you know hard nose and when people make mistakes we let them know and we point it out and we you know correct it right away and we're harsh and disciplinary and and then you said okay which school do you think is better for that kid you know seems mm. like at least for me or most people would say oh the compassionate school seems much better for this kid you know and that makes sense to most of us but what do you do in your own head when you make mistakes? You know, which one of those are you? Are you the compassionate, forgiving and loving one? Or are you the critical, condemning, you know, punish yourself one? And like mm. when it was phrased in that way, I was like, wow, I really am the condemning, punishing one in my own head when I make mistakes. Huh. Well, knock it off, you idiot. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we have to call her Becky? That just threw me off right from oh, the beginning. Okay. You want to call her something else? <laughs> 
But the idea That's a great example, yeah. Yeah, the, the idea there was really helpful for me because we tend mm-hmm. to at least, you know, in this what he was talking about is we tend to be able to be more compassionate towards other people and we tend to be way less compassionate towards ourselves and it's not even conscious it's very subconscious i like that they threw the the kid in there though honestly because that's generally the way i try to help people cultivate their own self-compassion is to like think of themselves as like a six or an eight-year-old if you are able throughout your day to think of the things that your brain says to you but as if it's saying them to a six or eight year old, you'll probably be appalled by some of those things. (laughs) Like we say some mean shit to ourselves that we would never ever think to say to some random stranger kid. Right. And it's just crazy that we can have that kind of like understanding that these are the wrong things to say to someone and yet treat ourselves like that all the time. But as an addict too, that's, I mean, for me, that's kind of, I want to say typical of me in a lot of situations like the shit I say in my head seems like it makes sense and seems like it's good Mm. information. And then I say it out loud to somebody else and it's like, whoa, that sounds kind of nuts or that sounds kind (laughs) of wrong. You know, once you verbalize it and put it out or think about saying those things to someone else, it makes it more real. Mm. I I guess my first uh, introduction to compassion was just walking into the rooms of narcotics anonymous and having people not look at me the same way everybody else out in the world seemed to look at me or at least the the look that i felt i got from them i don't even know if that's the look they were giving me but that's what it felt like was like you know that it felt like society had this view of like i was just this terrible criminal this like demon basically in the world and i just needed to be punished and sent away and that was the only solution and so to arrive in this place where people were like dude we we know you've probably done some horrible things and it's okay like welcome we want you here and get a hug and it was like damn yeah and even in us sitting here talking i'm thinking just a little bit about we use this word unconditional love a lot in our program but i don't know if that's what that is i think it's more compassion Hmm. than unconditional love because to be frank i don't know that i unconditionally love new people that come in the room you know it's like i don't just unconditionally love anybody i run into at a meeting anytime but i can definitely express compassion towards people that come into the rooms that i don't necessarily know because i can relate to their struggles and i'm typically willing to help them in some way shape or form you know get out of that suffering. that's loving though it might not be love like there's so many different definitions of love but that is a loving act you're doing right so. but in the 12 at least in narcotics anonymous it feels like we use that word unconditional love a lot and to me that's a pretty like unconditional love seems pretty extreme <laughs> and and people say stuff along the lines of like you know, I could go anywhere in the world and show up and there's people like me, but there, there's also this sentiment of like, I love these people because they're like me, right? I have like love for addicts just because I, I know their struggle and, you know, there's like some weird love bond there that we think we have with people we've never met just because they're in the same program as us. It is kind of culty, actually. <laughs> so I, that makes me wonder, is there's like a compassionate bias, 
Like it's easier to be compassionate for some and not others. I, and and I don't know this because I'm not a Mason, but it feels like one of those things, right? You're like selling somebody a tractor and you're like, oh, you're, you see their Mason pinky ring or something. You're like, oh, you're a Mason too. Well, it's actually $500 cheaper there, buddy. Like, <laughs> I just like you more, even though I've never met you because you're one of, one of my kind. Right. right. And it does feel kind of like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, you've got the NA triangle on you. <laughs> the pyramid. Oh. Yeah. I'll treat you nice now. Like, uh, it is kind of weird. Like, why don't we just treat everybody like that? <laughs> why don't you? Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> I, I think over time, compassion was uh, aided in being cultivated in me just through that, like, that frustration of, like, you know, you get your first or second sponsee and they don't follow your suggestions and they relapse and then you're bitching to your sponsor about it and your sponsor's like, man, like, people struggle. And you know what I mean? It's like, in talking to these other people who are kind of softer and gentler and and maybe it's uh because they're not in the situation so their feelings aren't hurt it's easier to be softer in general yeah, and i think that's one of the hazards of our program uh with so many or i say our program with 12-step fellowships or at least in my experience in narcotics anonymous with so many people coming in and out and so many people not sticking around like it's easy to start to lose some of that compassion mm. um and one of the things i listened to online was about the lack of compassion in medical care and how that actually leads to worse outcomes for the patient and worse outcomes actually for the doctor and healthcare providers and you can imagine you know you're in an er and you see constant mm -hmm. suffering and constant pain and constant you know, I'm going to say failures of the system because people die or lose a limb or lose a loved one. And I think that can happen in our fellowship as well. And a natural defense mechanism is to kind of want to pull back or yeah. shut down. Um, but in this in this it was a TED talk in this TED talk, you know, they explained that actually pulling compassion out makes it worse on the person themselves, on the healthcare provider themselves, and that when they can still you know, find that compassion and, and tie into that compassion piece, it actually, well, one, it led to better health outcomes, but it also led to less burnout and less fatigue in the healthcare provider themselves. Hmm. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
So aren't, we're designed to be compassionate, like human beings, aren't we? Like I, I look at you, Jason, and I, the doctor. Like, aren't we all like chemically designed to be compassionate because we're like supposed to be helping each other and living as a tribe? Like, isn't that our natural state to be? compassionate and helping everyone I, I wish i had the research to present to you <laughs> i know it's out there that we're finding more and more that we have a biological imperative meaning there is a necessity in humans in order to function properly in our bodies that we have to be connected to other people and i think compassion is either a byproduct of being connected to people or maybe it inspires connection to people there's got to be some equivalent there because if you're connected to people you give a fuck and you want to do something and to i help feel them. bad because one of the ted talks i listened to or one of the the talks i listened to went specifically through exactly that our biological development they actually and i'm gonna miss most of the key points but one of the things they said is they think that's actually why uh the homo sapiens advanced and the neanderthal died out was because they lacked compassion like compassion mm. was a key ingredient of why they think one succeeded over the other so their grandma was like hobbling and couldn't keep up with the tribe and they just yeah. bashed her over the head with a fucking mallet and left her so behind there a is, tree yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there is at least some theory or data i again i yeah. didn't log all that into my brain or take notes but there was and like 10 minutes of this talk were specifically about our biological development and how compassion is a key component well and i gotta be honest for me it's more important that i understand that it is like i'll let the researchers remember right. all the fucking numbers and how they right. came to the conclusion i'm like yeah it matters that's what i got <laughs> we need yeah. that shit um you know one thing that occurred to me this morning on the drive here and i was like wow this seems kind of relevant is that you know, we talk about this definition being that we see the suffering in others and we want to do something about it. And I feel like this is something that a lot of us do pretty regularly, right? Like it comes, I want to say naturally, I don't know, but I feel like we all do it, whether it's with our kids or, or close loved ones or close friends, like we do care that they're suffering and we do act in ways to fix it. And yet it does not look compassionate. And, and I find that fascinating. It's almost like a, um, some sort of negative or, or over attachment experience, right? Because like, okay, say your kid, uh, I don't know, this happened to me recently. My, my three-year-old fell and skinned her knee in a parking lot when we were getting ice cream and she was crying, right? The compassion welled up in me, right? I was frustrated. Like she's hurt. I want to do something about it, but here's the problem. There's nothing I can fucking do about it, honestly. Right. And so my reaction is to get mad because I can't tolerate the fact that she's hurting and I can't do anything about it. And then I just start blaming her mother. I'm like, why the fuck weren't you holding her hand? What's wrong with you? We were in a parking lot. Cars could have hit her like she should have never felt like I go in to try to. And I think what I'm doing is removing the problem from next time. Right. I'm, I'm helping by I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. But the truth is what I'm doing is shaming the fuck out of, you know, her mom who was just trying to carry ice creams across the parking lot. And I'm not actually creating any better feeling for my daughter either because she's just seeing me like frustrated and angrily yelling. Like there's a compassionate action in there that's just like hugging her and being able to sit with her in her pain until it passes. And yet I, that's the piece that's missing in this like over attachment to others feelings. So when I feel responsible for other people's feelings and I try to fix them, that's like a negative, it's a convoluted attachment, right? I'm not supposed to be attached. Like people's feelings aren't my responsibility. And yet our parents give us this. I know I'm saying a lot of shit right here. Sorry, but like, 
Okay, so you're growing up, you're a kid, you do something, your parent gets mad, they make their feelings your responsibility. They say, you need to change how you act in order for me to change my feeling of anger. And like, that's a, that's a terrible thing. That, that really puts the, that creates people pleasers. Honestly, that creates what Jenny was talking about. And not to go too down a weird rabbit hole with all this, but is that a compassion response or is that more like a nervous system fight or flight response? Like, oh my God, I just saw my kid get hurt and now like and, yeah, and can I'm I reactive. Add, I've, I've went into this mm -hmm. defensive state. And can I add too, if you had just stayed in the moment, you would project and way out in the future. I don't want this to ever happen again. If you just stayed in the moment like and did what that moment required instead of projecting next time we get ice cream, you know, like, right. you know, like that whole train of thought would have been avoided if you just practice staying in the moment. Well, I think what takes me out of the moment is the over attachment, right? So I'm overly attached okay. to my daughter's feelings being my responsibility. And I literally cannot fix it right now. So like my body goes into what's the next best thing? Well, first it goes into anger. I can't fix and I'm, I'm supposed to, right? That's mm -hmm. my job. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, well, what can I do? Well, I can use this anger to belittle somebody to make sure they do the right thing next time. That that same school you were talking about, the, the yeah. school that, uh, you know, doesn't take no shit and make sure people get it right the next time. It goes into that mode. But I, I guess I don't want us to get confused with that. At one, I think it ties in because I think it is the desire to be compassionate that wells up in us. And it could very well be tied mode. into the nervous system for sure. Mm -hmm. But the second part of it is I don't think we know how to be actually usefully compassionate there because we weren't shown that from our parents. Our parents didn't show up. They were just as mad when we hurt ourselves and told us, you shouldn't have been playing like that. I told you that, right? Told you last week you shouldn't run in flip-flops. And then we fell. And so it's like they want to do something, and yet because they don't know how, we do the wrong thing. Yeah, and I think we lack emotional education, emotional uh, teaching like in our school and in our society a lot to be in touch with that right. because immediately, you know, I, and I believe I read this too, that, you know, what you're going through there is your defense response. Like mm -hmm. someone that I love is hurt. I need to defend them, protect them, whatever. Right. But historically millions of years ago, the way we evolved for that was that threat was a lion, mm -hmm. uh, another tribe, uh, something that we had to, physically go get, physically go attack, physically defend. And nowadays, those things are, I'm not going to say minimal, but somewhat minimal. But our response is the same, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like somebody's hurt, I need to go do something or attack somebody or get, you know, so your system, you know, immediately fires way up, mm -hmm. you go into this fight mode and you need to go get something. <laughs> right, right. No, and that and unfortunately sense. it becomes your loved one because they're the closest and right. you can't punch all the concrete. There. <laughs> or you can punch the concrete, but it's probably just gonna hurt you. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be pointless. I guess I, I, I just found that pretty fascinating that like we could probably call that compassion because it does feel in that moment like I have so much care that I'm, you know, I need to do something about this. Directed compassion. Yeah, it kind of is. And I, I, I guess I just wanted to have some note of that in here because it sounded interesting. I could see me yeah. running around being like, I'm so compassionate, yelling at my kids <laughs> that they shouldn't be running in flip-flops. Um, so why does compassion matter? I mean, research definitely has this. You probably heard a ton of this in your TED Talks that you were listening to. 
Uh, compassion can reduce the risk of heart disease by boosting the positive effects of the vagus nerve, which is the nervous system, um, which helps to slow our heart rate. So compassion, I guess, would be the thing in those moments when our heart rate fires up due to the nervous system going into, you know, that sympathetic response, that fight or flight response. Compassion is the ability to slow that all down hmm. and keep it, you know, in a relegated mode or zone. Compassion also makes people more resilient to stress and strengthens the immune response. So I guess you won't get as sick and can tolerate work stress. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was one of, one of the work stress things was exactly that. People that were, you know, in these healthcare positions, uh, the, the example they used specifically was a, uh, what do they call it, an oncologist? Someone that has to tell someone that they have cancer. Their job was to, you know, give that information to their patients. And when they were able to put in, they said, just 40 seconds of compassion, they found that just adding that 40 seconds of compassion, like reduced missed time at work, uh, reduced their overall burnout and fatigue. Um, it made them more uh, engaged at their job overall. So it had these positive like health benefits for the individual that was giving the compassion. You know what's fascinating about that? Because you were telling me a little about this the other day and you said it was like this 40 second like script basically that, you know, that was thrown into the, the yeah, diagnosis. It was just a script that was written. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering if they were like trained on like how to say it, because I feel like you could just read those words like a robot <laughs> and not be compassionate at all. But like the way right. you said it when yeah. you were telling me about it, I was like, yeah, that is really compassionate. It feels great. <laughs> but I'm like, I wonder if they get like a, a quick little training on like, you know. Uh, because that's a lot of what, you know, we did that episode on polyvagal theory and it talks about the, it's the tone of the voice, the facial expressions, all of these things are what convey the feeling of being connected and close to people and feeling comfort when you look at other people and you're talking to them. And I, I guess I wonder if they got any of that vocalization training or any mm. of that along with it, Yeah. but it's fascinating. You know, one of the things they call in the therapy world, you know, they call it burnout, but they also refer to it as compassion fatigue. Like you start to lose the ability to feel and want to help the other person that's across from you. Yeah, and I did find a lot of information on that as well, but I didn't venture down that path too much myself. But there was a lot of information on uh, caregiver, compassion, fatigue, mm -hmm. things that you can do about that. And, you know, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Compassionate people are more socially adept, making them less vulnerable to the negative health effects of loneliness. So I guess maybe during COVID, people who had a high level of compassion didn't struggle as much when we were in lockdowns and stuff like that. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because it almost flips in me the idea that we need that human connection and that human interaction you know, feels like that's a needed part of compassion. <laughs> right, right. I wonder if that's based on like this idea, you know, there was another uh, mode of therapy where they talk about we need this connection with other people. And yet after establishing connections with people in our lifetime, we can cultivate this ability to like hone in to the parts of that person we carry with us. So like if your grandmother on sick days at school, you know, your parents went to work and used to go over grandma's and she would make you chicken noodle soup. Like you can actually make yourself now chicken noodle soup when you're sick. But as you're eating it, like remember those thoughts of grandma taking care of you and it sort of wells up that connection to people even without anybody being present. Wow. I wonder if it's something along those lines. 
Yeah. Sounds like nostalgia. Um, <laughs> we have an episode on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, but when people were on lockdown, if you were versed in compassion, you had a reason to be on lockdown. So maybe mm. it made the mm. situation more bearable. Yeah. So instead Powerful. of like, what do you mean I can't go to the store and buy my AR-15? Right. <laughs> this is dumb. It was more like. I feel really good about staying home because I know I'm protecting, you know, my grandma who's really vulnerable and my cousin who's got some vulnerabilities to this. Maybe it was something like that. Yeah, because if there's a purpose behind, you know, what could be viewed as suffering, having to stay home suffering, you know, but if there's purpose behind it as cultivated from compassion, made it easier to deal with. That's a Nietzsche, right? Uh, He who has a why can endure almost any how. That's exactly what I was coming for. (laughs) (laughs) Last piece of things that they have found out that are beneficial from compassion. Compassionate societies, those that take care of the most vulnerable members, assist other nations in need, and have children who perform more acts of kindness are the happiest societies. So if you're looking for happiness. Yeah, that actually there was a documentary that I I uh, watched a few years back on Netflix called Happiness or Happy. I can't remember exactly. but And that was one of the things that they pointed out is in these nations and these countries or regions where they were more compassionate, they found more happiness. Mm. Was it Denmark? Um, it was some like weird uh, Asian cultures that were like out in the middle of nowhere that you know, we're like still in that tribal phase where there was mm. just a few hundred people and you could be compassionate towards each other yeah it was pretty interesting huh. did they have smartphones i don't think so because mm. now they're up... gonna oh, sorry, go now ahead. they're gonna listen to this episode and you call them weird yeah there you go well, i say weird in that they're not caught up in the modern technologies and advancements of current society <laughs> so it was a compliment yes listeners in those weird countries i keep looking for these ways that we can go back to a healthy way of living that don't involve like blowing up the technology world. <laughs> I don't I haven't found them yet, so that's not good. Um so well maybe that'll be things... part of your religion. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things we'll be honest. <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of I'm not ready to give up zippers yet. <laughs> zippers? You gotta give up zippers. <laughs> I just don't use zippers. You don't use zippers. I mean I guess every serious? every what? like sect S E C T has their own rules but <laughs> picture sex. <laughs> but yeah zippers are not part of their thing. Huh. Did the word sex, S-E-X, exist when they created the word S-E-C-T-S, sex? Because I feel like that was a really terrible use of vocabulary <laughs> if they did, like, we're going to invent this other word that sounds just like fornication. Like, <laughs> My family and I are looking for sex. <laughs> <laughs> Can we join your sex? <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, what were we going to say? You were going to tell us oh, about that. So, yeah, now it almost, I almost <laughs> forgot, and we're not on that anymore. No, there's something in our society called the Gyges effect or Gyges effect, okay. which have you heard of this? No. Do you know what it is? So the idea um, of the Gyges effect, it's the way in which the Internet can encourage a disinhibition people simply would not experience face to face. So it's oh, that's real. The idea comes from like a Plato did a play where there was a guy and he made an invisible cloak so that he could sneak in and like murder the king and steal his wife and all this stuff and sort of one of the themes or, or ideas that came up in the play were well could any man really resist the temptations if they were invisible mm. and that this moral morality was a social construct so that's the idea in Plato's play 
and now how that's playing out within our society with the internet or Ooh. social media or places where you're not having that one-on-one interaction. So what would you do if nobody would ever know? Right. Huh. When you can be anonymous yeah. or when you can be, you know, not responsible, not held accountable. Yeah. You know, because if you're in, you know, some other country, some other state, you don't know where I am. I can say whatever I want. You can't really do anything. Right. Yeah. In 12 Steps, they were they encouraged me or the group to, like, do acts of kindness and not tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. Did you get that encouragement, yeah. too? People always did, though. They couldn't help but brag, but they needed that. I don't, you know, that's a, that's a tricky one, right? Because like, I I don't know that I necessarily, anybody told me that idea, but I do like the idea. And somewhere along the line, I came into this idea of like, I want to do things and not tell anybody. And yet then there's this weird line. Cause I'm rigid sometimes. And I get like, like, I want to talk to somebody, not about what I did because I'm trying to glorify it because I'm trying to share like, Hey, I did this thing and it felt really good. Maybe you would want to do something like that too, because they're talking about a similar situation and then i feel like i can't well that's the right motivation (laughs) your intention is better so i think because you have to teach the next you know generation of recovering addicts you know like i did this it made me feel this way you should try it why aren't you being compassionate towards yourself by bragging about some of the good acts that you do (laughs) isn't that (laughs) self-compassion i'm not sure i'm not sure but that effect i think that's totally absolutely a thing even with the telephone I've had those experiences, you know, I've worked at jobs where you can talk to someone on the telephone and they'll yell and scream and I've done it too. You'll say all kinds of things that if you were standing in an office talking to a person, you probably wouldn't act that way, you know, or if there were other people around, you probably would, you know. Well, they're dehumanized. Right. You become dehumanized just because you're not face-to-face interaction. So this isn't necessarily just an immediate thing. It's a thing that's been happening over our culture slowly over the last 50, 60 years. And I think it's just getting worse. So now Mm -hmm. we're seeing less compassion, less empathy because of this effect. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the ways to increase compassion because there are scientifically, you know, vetted, I guess, ways Get off to social do media. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see because like the first one I already read and it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how we don't do these things. <laughs> and maybe that's why our, our political landscape looks so awful right now. Um, so the first one, seeing yourself as similar to others increases feelings of compassion. Yeah, I don't feel like we do that. We other people, we don't see them as similar to us. We're like, oh, you, those people over there are like this, and and maybe that's kind of what's happening when we're able to be on the phone or on the internet more anonymously. It's like, oh, we can treat these other people like this instead of if we were all in a room together. Like, you know, I, if you get in a room with people who are of a different political party and you guys just talk about your lives, probably really, really similar lives, right? They're not that different. So that's interesting. Right. Or some of these polls that they do with people without asking their political affiliations or whatever, you start to see that most people are way closer on things than they're apart. Right. So seeing yourself as similar to others. And it says they actually did a study where people tap their fingers to the same rhythm as a stranger, and then they increase their compassionate behavior because of that, just by tapping your fingers in the same rhythm. So go ahead, go out and tap your fingers with people in the mall (laughs) dining area or something. 
Um, another way is to encourage cooperation over competition. So one study showed that describing a game as a community game increased players' levels of cooperation and sharing behavior, while calling the same game the Wall Street game made the players more ruthless and less honest. Hmm. Which is interesting, just by the name yeah, of the fucking right. game. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Well, it feels like that changes your motivation. Yeah. It changes... Wall Street feels like I got to get the most. Well, right. But I, I mean, maybe we should change Wall Street. Maybe we should all invest in the uh, community stock market. Right. <laughs> maybe we'll all be nicer and less lying. Um, see people as individuals rather than abstractions. You know, they say things like this and it doesn't feel like that's like, I, yeah, of course, that's a way to increase compassion. But that doesn't feel like a way to practice increasing compassion when you're already trying to. Like, do I just walk around and I'm like... Billy's not an abstraction. He's a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's not an actual thing there. It's just like change your mind. Um, so it says when asked to support an anti-hunger charity, people were more likely to give money after reading a story about one particular starving girl than after reading statistics on starvation. And I've heard some of that with altruism. Like if you're, you know, looking to practice altruism, it's like if you just look at a general overall problem there's it feels almost overwhelming like your little contribution can't do anything but right. when you can bring it down to the level of an individual well your hundred dollars a month probably would help one individual might not solve the whole problem but Billy. for the cost of a cup of coffee a day <laughs> just where i was going old sally struthers they'll send you updates on the family you're helping <laughs> right. billy do you know when those with the, the um the animal ones the humane when that commercial comes on i have to change it because i'm like don't ruin my day like <laughs> <laughs> well and not to throw off some things you know where you're going but i wonder if compassion towards animals has the same impact or effects as compassion towards other people hmm. i almost feel like in my version, in my head, uh, we have too much compassion for animals and not enough for people. That's what it feels like a lot of times when I interact with the world at large. I feel like that too, but... It's, well, because people... I mean, pets don't really hurt you unless they die. Right. You know, they don't like talk back. They don't disagree. They don't have differing opinions. There's no work involved in keeping the relationship going. You just show up and they love you. I don't know. That's my own take on that. <laughs> I feel like an asshole now. I'm still thinking it through. Like, uh, yeah. okay. I don't see how loving animals could be negative. I mean, maybe people have hurt you so much. That's what you're left with. You know, you've been so disappointed by human beings. Oh, but, that's just where people connect. I just wonder if you're getting the benefits of compassion in your life, if you're just compassionate towards animals, or if it really requires that human... I, yeah, it's a, connection that human interaction that's a good question because it, it's just about you giving love right you know like does it matter if you get it back the compassion part is you giving so hmm. don't you get love back from animals though you sure do but i mean <laughs> <laughs> but like you know like you're you're wondering if, if giving love to humans or giving love to animals has the same benefit I would say yes, because you're just giving. You're not worried about the receipt back. I feel like there's some fundamental difference, and it kind of ties into what I was just saying. And, and it, maybe this is just a really cynical view of the world, but I, I think there's something about I don't have to do anything. Ah, see? Well, I and I, where you I'm an coming asshole. at or, yeah. or what I'm <laughs> thinking with this is, I don't know if you remember the idea or saying, at least in you know 12-Step Fellowship, 
we went to where it's like if you want to get in a relationship, like you get a plant and then you get a pet right. and then you get a relationship or something like that. It's some cliche people used to say. And to me, the idea there is if you come into you know, recovery and you're so hurt and broken that you don't trust people when you don't have a lot of compassion or you don't have that muscle, you know, maybe you can start with a pet or something that isn't as dangerous huh. and start expressing compassion there and then develop it over time to be able to expand out. That is totally not what I got out of that. <laughs> the lesson I thought that they were trying to teach with that, or at least the way I feel like it was expressed to me was that get a plant. And if you can do what it takes to keep a plant alive, then try a pet. And if you can do what it takes to keep a pet alive, then you might have the ability to put in the work regularly to take care of a relationship. Hmm. I just thought that was about whether you had like the willingness and the effort and the work and all oh, that see, I stuff. I thought it had more to do with like just being able to humanly connect with uh, people, like to to get away from that like animalistic living of huh. you have what I want, so I'm going to take, you know, you yeah, hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back, like that stuff. <laughs> anyway. Go home and like take your little potted plant and drink the water out of it. Like you don't <laughs> need this water. I'm stealing it. Piece Smash of shit. Toughen up. <laughs> Sitting around here all doing nothing, you lazy fucking plant. All right, let's see if you evolve into a cactus when you don't have any water. No, uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's something weird in my head, and I I hope maybe somebody who knows a lot more about this can come on and tell us about it. But there's something weird in my head about the way we cling to our care for animals but not humans and i don't know exactly what that is I, I have all these things i put on it that are negative because i look at people as negative sometimes but well i think it's weird when people do like I, I think there's room in a lot of people's lives for both like you can be compassionate towards animals and then be compassionate towards people too i think where it gets a little weird is when you see these people that are like these over the top and i'm just gonna say like dog lovers or animal lovers and then they're like completely shitty to people like their dog has more rights than right. another human being should like to me that's where it gets a little weird but i think it's great when people can do all or both yeah. Well, I I, want, I always wonder what what's happened to that person. Like they must have been really hurt, right. and then that's where they went. But um, in defense of people who overdo it with loving their animals, um, the animals also like can't speak up for their needs like mm -hmm. a human can. So maybe they're they're being like a, like an advocate for the animals because they do have feelings and needs that don't always get met. So the people are using their strength to help them, and that's. All right, moving on before I sound any worse. Uh, believe in your power to do good. When we believe we're able to make a difference, we're less likely to suppress our feelings of compassion. And and this could possibly be what happened in that ice cream situation with my daughter, right? Maybe I didn't feel like I could do good for her in that moment, and so I suppressed the compassion feeling towards her and went some other route, right? But maybe if I could believe, like, man, if I just sit here and I just – Hold her and hug her and, you know, it'll eventually feel better. Maybe that could work. I think about the parents who, like, when they have their babies, the baby's crying and they do the cry it out method. Like, instead of your instincts, they're usually telling you, like, go comfort your baby. But then somewhere along the line, society was like, no, they got to toughen up. Right. And then we find out down the road that the babies who cry it out have, like, serious, like, attachment issues <laughs> and trauma. And, like... So the mommies and daddies like fought their instinct for compassion 
you know, because they were told to tough it out. And like, we, we have to shed that, mm-hmm. you know, before we can evolve. <laughs> well, and compassion is difficult. I mean, what we haven't kind of really talked too much about is, is part of compassion is the empathy piece of trying to connect to someone's suffering. And like, it's, it's hard sometimes to want to meet someone at a level of suffering. Like it's, it's, painful to see someone that you love or people that you care about suffering and hurting. Um, and it's a lot easier to, well, not easier, but it's a defense mechanism to like blame or rationalize or point out what they didn't do for themselves or why this happened to them versus just feeling that hurt. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a hard thing to do sometimes, especially if you're struggling in your own life and you're not, you know, feeling overly, uh, loving or cared about you know then to try to relate to someone else's suffering it's like well we all fucking suffer you know suck it up get on with it that's what i gotta do that's what you should do right no i I think you're absolutely right i'm picturing somebody uh, i'm actually picturing myself in different you know (laughs) places in my my life (laughs) when i was depressed and like i didn't want to fucking be around me because it was awful god it was so negative and so down and so Eeyore, but exponentially worse. And it's like, who the fuck can tolerate that for long to right. be around and be compassionate towards you? Like, I, I don't know. It's really, really tough. Um, so that can be challenging for sure. Meditation. So yeah. Sit with the hard stuff. So that was, you know, when you talked about some of the things that can promote compassion, uh, one of the self-compassion uh, methods I heard someone mention was just taking a couple minutes, you know, with meditation or even some deep breathing exercises, um, taking your hands and, you know, putting them across on your heart, that touch, that, you know, personal connection with yourself um, and just thinking some good thoughts, you know, trying to put yourself in a better place. And that actually can reduce that uh, nervous system excitement that, Mm -hmm. you know, that fight or flight response, you know, you can sort of bring that down just a little bit to begin to open the door for compassion or empathy. Yeah. And that is on our list for sure. A number of studies, like there is limitless numbers of studies (laughs) that have shown that compassion or loving kindness meditation practices, and even a couple other studies that show that it doesn't even matter what kind of meditation practice you do, but all of these have the ability to increase our, our action of compassion after the fact. Um, Notice how good compassion feels. Studies about compassion show that compassion action activates the rewards brain center. So just, I guess sometimes what we are realizing in the therapy world is that we can do these positive things and then we never stop to actually associate them in our brains. Because if you're acting in a survival mode, your your frontal lobe, your higher level human thinking is not really talking to the part of your brain that's in that survival mode. So there's, they lose communication. And so sometimes you're just going through life in this frequently survival mode and just acting. And so you don't actually have the ability, like the connections not made. And so it's stopping after a compassionate act and being like actively recognizing, Hey, that felt really good when I did this thing for this person and associating those two behaviors together or the behavior and the feeling together. Um, Parents, teachers, and caregivers. Research suggests that compassion is contagious. So if you want to help teach and cultivate compassion in children, the best practice is to lead by your own example. So that's the way, I guess, to help others increase their compassion. Jenny, you want to do a quiz? 
Do we have time? Ah, fuck it. I mean, if it's a fun quiz. Right. All right. This quiz is called Are You As Compassionate As You Think You Are? Oh, oh yeah. I'm going to score well. <laughs> I am too. I <laughs> so, um, you, I think your answers will be similar. I guess we'll just, we'll, we'll figure out a sort. Yeah. Anyway, do you care about other people? Of course. Not really. Depends who. They're useful. So, yes. Ooh. I would say the first one, of course. Of course. Do you care about other people? Yeah. Or depends who? I think of who? course. Ah, there's definitely some people. Where yeah. Like, I well, I was going to say much. there's always a little bit of depends who. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in between depends who and yes, of course. Do you know what emotional labor is? It's either yes or no sounds dumb. <laughs> no sounds hard. Or yes, but it's super hard. Do you know what emotional labor is? I'm going to say no, but it sounds hard out of okay. those choices. Yeah, that's the only choice. I, like, I, that doesn't I don't know sound what like it a is. familiar phrase. Okay. That's because you two are men. Okay. Um, is it the nine months? That's not a very sexist, Jenny. <laughs> is this the nine month birthing of compassion? No, emotional labor. So emotional labor is like, I, I've always heard of it in the classic like um, mother-father role. Like dad goes to work, comes home you know, does some family stuff, chills. Mom goes to work, but then she has to organize the family schedule, take care of kids' hurt feelings, think about what's going on uh, this week, you know, whatever. So like mom takes on a more of the emotional labor or dad comes home from work and chills. That's the context I've always heard emotionally. So the, the supposedly dictionary definition, the mental activity required to manage or perform the routine tasks necessary for maintaining relationships and ensuring smooth running of a householder process, typically regarded as an unappreciated or unacknowledged burden borne disproportionately by women. I, the only fascinating part of that definition is the fact that it's the definition for emotional labor, and it starts with mental activity. That doesn't. That seems like a misnomer. Hmm. Like that sounds like a lot I of see thought. the difference. Yeah, I see the difference. But I guess it's a putting in like the care and concern. That's the emotional part mm -hmm. for the mental process. Whereas men, well. This does sound totally sexist. <laughs> it's not like it's this for okay. every household. It's probably accurate. I'm going to say some um, sexist stuff soon anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's usually the women who like run the house, all the mental work and like giving a shit, you know, like tending to make sure everybody's happy mm -hmm. and that things run smoothly. That usually falls on the women in a household, family household. But I've also heard that that's because of uh, women's like the biology like that they're wired more to be emotionally aware and that actually women uh cause most divorces basically because they are way more <laughs> sensitive to emotional uh needs than men are and men are way more likely to just put up with it or just whatever whereas women are more sensitive or interesting woo i don't believe that. of it yeah <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i believe any of that but that was Wild to say. <laughs> Out <Yeah>. loud. <laughs> Glad you said it. I'm repeating something I heard somewhere. I go. won't say who said it, so I'll just... <laughs> um, That's interesting. I think we do what our parents did. So I think I'm running my household the way, you know, I saw my mom do it. I take care of the social schedule and make sure everybody's happy. That's And I probably go overboard with the making sure everybody's happy. You know, like, some of this is hmm. on you. But, you know, I think I think it's just... We're conditioned by what our parents did, what their parents did, etc. And in our house, it's not like that. Like I've handled much more of the kids' 
like scheduling and getting them to events. Now they're older, so they drive themselves, but I handled all that stuff mm. on the physical level. But I still think my wife was way more emotionally in tune with them than I ever was, mm. even though I did the logistical. Like I always, and that's the way I looked at it. I'm like, oh, that's all the logistics. Like I do logistics and, yeah, and planning. I, re- I remember you sharing about that, that you, you were yeah. like when you you wanted your kids to get into sports. So that was like on you. you yeah. Know, like, I did all your, their sports yeah. stuff, even with the girls when they were doing horseback riding and gymnastics and dance and all that. Mm-hmm. I did all that stuff. I was the fucking dad sitting there at dance class, you know, <laughs> like, but, I, but popular. I don't know that that for me at least was overly um, emotional. Like I never considered that emotional labor. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny that the word emotional and mental. Well, you gave a shit, so that is the emotional part. Like okay. you, you gave. You were emotional enough to put in the mental action. Oh. So it starts with emotion. Sure. Thanks. I'll take that credit. <laughs> <laughs> Since I'm already on the um, shit list for the sexist comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, the only thought I have about whether men are biologically different is that we cannot possibly parse out what the fuck is natural because from the moment you find out a baby is male or female even pre-birth you start acting different towards them because of our our society and because of our own parents and upbringing so i just i really feel like we it's we're in an impossible place where we can't know what the fuck men and women actually look like naturally because we have so much societal pressure that pushes them one way or the other I don't know what's natural and what's and not. And I can just say, too, though, almost everything in all these areas where we never know if it's nature or nurture comes out to it's some of both. Yes. Like, it's always <laughs> some of both. <laughs> you know, even in studies with, like, you know, identical twins and all that stuff, they realize, like, a lot of it's genetic, but then other parts of it aren't. And, you know. I mean, at this point, uh, it kind of probably changes from month to month in my own brain but i'm like what percentage of it of what we look at as male and female qualities now were actually there pre-birth right like at conception i don't know like 20 percent, maybe and maybe we exaggerate it by 80 percent. i mean that's like a fucking guess in my head i have no idea hmm. but i i don't think it's 50 50 anymore i think we really especially in our country in the united states i think we exponentially make male and females so, so different. I don't think we are as different as that by far. Uh, I think it's changing though. And I felt silly even making the sample, like the example of the family being a man and woman parent, you know, like, I mean, because we are changing. And I I feel like even my example is old fashioned now. (sighs) Two wives, Jenny, two wives. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's next? Did you ever bully anyone as a child? Uh, No, I was bullied. Yes, it was fun. I don't think so, but people tell me I did. Yes, but we made up later and it was okay. Mm. So I'm the third. I don't think so. And this was when I was an adult. Like, I never considered myself a bully at all when I was in school. I was always this little tiny short kid. I was one of the smallest kids growing up in almost every grade. And I ran into a kid I went to school with. And he's like, yeah, I remember you. You know, you used to pick on me all the time. And I was like, really? Mm. (laughs) Like, I don't remember that at all and it was it made me think very differently about my memories (laughs) i mean my first reaction is that i was definitely bullied but i feel like there's these few moments in my head that stick out where i'm like i tried to pass that on to the next weakest person around Mm. (laughs) 
So I feel like I probably perpetrated that in some ways, even though I was more often the victim. That, that quiz doesn't have the right options on that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think back to my own. I mean, I was bullied a little, but then I also bullied people too. So that should be an option. Yeah, both. That's right then. All right, <laughs> I'll take care of that. Uh, when you see a sad news story, how long do you feel bad? Hours, or I don't know these people. Why would I feel bad? Or a minute, or a couple minutes. I'm going to say a couple minutes. Definitely not hours. Uh, yeah, some of them for me are hours. Yeah, if I hear days, the right like story. I start thinking about <laughs> it, it is, yeah. Some stories I hear activism. from like, yeah. Like when I hear some stories from like the Down syndrome community, it will like haunt me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are some. Uh, I guess it's a mixture. Hmm. I'm going to put hours because I think we all okay. we all have suffered from that. <laughs> Make us sound better. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> It'll take hours. <laughs> Do you give to charity? Of course. No. Only at Christmas time? Eh, once or twice. Of course. How about you, Billy? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't do the finances. Jen does, but we do, and I don't object to... Do you give to homeless people? Yes, they need help. No, they're all on heroin. <laughs> no, they're all con men. Sometimes, if it's obvious, and I have money on me. No, but for very different reasons than any of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with sometimes. I feel like I'm shifting towards just a yes but it's definitely more often now that i do i don't have the argument in my head so much of like what are they gonna do with this like mm -hmm. what the fuck ever man either i buy them some food and just give it to them or i give them some money and it is what it is like mm -hmm. fuck it okay remember if you give you're not supposed to tell anybody you gotta keep it to yourself <laughs> oh. yeah well, i can't answer that question i plead the fifth uh do you gossip behind people's backs only if i'm really worried about them Yes, and also to their face. <laughs> yes, it's fun. Only when someone else started it. I am an only when somebody else. I try not to gossip, but if somebody else, <laughs> I will <laughs> I will listen. So I do it, and I sometimes initiate it, but it's usually based in, like, not for the joy of dismissing them. Like, I need to figure out what to do about this. Or... That's true. Yeah, only if I'm really worried about them. That was one of the things. So, hmm. Yes, only if I'm really worried about them. And that's usually my motivation. So, yeah, that's probably close. But I can't help it sometimes if it's juicy. I'm like, tell me more. So I, I'm going to say yes, only if I worry about them with the caveat that it's also possibly I'm worried about some other thing that is involved in the situation, right? Like maybe I'm maybe I'm worried about a coworker, not necessarily because I have a ton of connection to them, but I'm worried about how their actions are affecting the practice as a whole, right? Because I care about our practice and I think we do a good job and I don't want to see the actions of one person like not contribute to that or to take away from that. So it, it's a care about something that matters at least. Okay. None of these sound like compassion. When are we going to hear about saving bugs? Patience. <laughs> yeah. I don't kill the spider lanternflies, God damn yeah. it. <laughs> you don't? No. Wow, even the Chesapeake Bay Foundation was like, kill these people. And they're like environmentalists. That's so ridiculous to me. We're not going to get rid of them. Yes, they're an invasive species. But you know what? At this point, you're not going to just get rid of them because you kill them when you see them. Like, My husband that's not thinks gonna they're going to 
like doesn't think killing him will do anything. It's going to be something's going to figure out to eat it. Like some yeah, bird, something eventually, or critter, will, is it'll be like, become prey. Yeah, well, it's here now. It's yeah. just my point. Like just because you kill the ones you see, you're not killing the ten thousand you don't see. You so mean you're like never going to do anything, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we just got to suck it up. I don't know. I just feel like it's such a stupid method. Like yes, kill them when you see them. That'll get rid of all of them. It's but an like, interesting experiment. Like can no, can we not. rally Meanwhile, everyone to do this? Drive down the road, you'll see a tree. It's got like a hundred thousand right. of them all over. Right. <laughs> Blow the tree up. <laughs> I have not seen that. I mean, I see them here and there, but not like that. That's terrifying. We went up to the Renaissance Festival in hmm. PA. And, and they're we pretty. Driving up there. And there was, I mean, I say thousands, at least hundreds, just all over the trunk of this tree. Right. Wow. No, I yeah, haven't seen it was that. a lot. Wow. All right. Next question. Do you think poor people are generally poor because of bad choices? Generally, no. Yes, obviously. Usually, or a few are. What was the first one? Generally, no. Are poor people poor because of bad choices? Generally, no. Or, yes, obviously. What if they're poor because of bad choices, but they're not their choices? Yeah, it's like... What if they're poor because the choices that all of us have made as we made legislation about yeah. how we're going to run our country? That's a, that's a generally no, I think. I think, yeah. I think yeah, you're a generally okay. no. Do you believe in universal health care? Of course. No, screw the poor. No, because Venezuela, that's why. And also, please ignore Scandinavia. And last, sure, I don't know. Sure, I just don't know that it's workable in the U.S. I want to know what the background yes. stories for Scandinavia well, and Scandinavia, Venezuela are. They yeah. have universal health care. And in Venezuela, it's super terrible. Yeah. No, like we, they have universal health care, but it's a shit show because their country's bankrupt. Uh, so it's terrible. Yes. But in Scandinavian countries, it's great. <laughs> Universal healthcare, definitely. Yeah, me too. All right, same. Do you believe in trying to be Christ-like more than preaching about Christ? I try, or preaching is way more fun. I believe in it, but I don't do it. Sure, that sounds like me. I would say yes, I do. You yeah. Try? Okay, I try. Do you tell people about your charitable giving? I forgot this question was I'm in here. I'm always trying to turn water into wine. What are you talking <laughs> about? What's happening? Um, do you tell people about your charitable giving? Only if it might get them to give to. Or yes, I'm lying about it. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's rare, so I like to make sure they know. And only sometimes. So the obvious like only sometimes yeah, only for me. Sometimes, the obvious like jerk who does this quiz, all that answer, they're always funny. They're they're the funny one. <laughs> I mean, I share with people because it's part of my giving to the community. Like it's part of my financial take on what we're supposed to do with our money. Like give that ten percent back to the community. But well, I'm pretty sure when you research into altruism, like they encourage you to talk about it. They want you like if you're in this altruistic movement it's encouraged that you share what you're doing and why and the benefits of it like they they say that's you know part of that right. process involves talking about it well didn't we say compassion was contagious yeah. like we were saying how to do it like well, if i don't if nobody sees my i mean there's a difference checkbook. right and there's a difference with anything that you come out all like braggadocious and look at me and how great i am like if you do that with anything you kind of look like a jerk <laughs> you know um, that's true because we talked about it earlier. It was about the intention. If you want, if you tell people because you want to encourage them to give too, then that's a good intention. So if you saw a colleague hiding in the break room looking sad, what do you do? Offer to talk to them? Make your coffee and get out? 
smile awkwardly, or offer them a cookie. Skip the coffee and run away. Depends <laughs> on how early in the morning. <laughs> like, if it's early morning, I'm getting out of there. Definitely talking to him. Yeah, I talk to him. Me too. If your friend called with an emergency, but you were at work, would you leave? Yes. Or no. Which part of I'm at work was confusing. <laughs> uh, depends what time of day. If it's like 2 p.m., then it's good because I can help my friend and still be home early. Uh, depends which friend. Oh, oh why yeah. do we have such an allegiance to work? That's what came up for me when you read that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why the fuck do I feel so strongly tied to my Well, work? I would say it depends on which friend and what the problem was. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was thinking too, like say emergency. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, think, think bad. Like they're stuck at... Uh, yeah, like if they were broke down on the side of the road yeah. or needed a ride. Like <laughs> That's hilarious to me because I'm like, you're broke down. You can fucking figure that one out. Like <laughs> your family members dying in the hospital, uh, well, then I'm coming, too, right? Yeah. Like that's a little more emergency huh. for me. Okay, like, well, whatever down, emergency yeah, is to you. Yeah. <laughs> but I have flexibility at my work to do that most of the time. Yeah, that's a tough question because, I mean, some jobs you can't leave. Right, you, know? you have like if you have rigid like... employers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm saying I'm probably leaving. If it's one something I constitute as an emergency, yeah. I'm yeah, if leaving. I constitute it as an emergency, I would leave. Yeah. Um, if there were five donuts in a box and six people, what would you do? Cut up all the donuts into quarters so everyone gets a fair piece and they can all so and they can also taste all the different donuts. Would you eat two? <laughs> would you eat one? <laughs> or ask if anyone doesn't feel like a donut, uh, but then quietly so that you can take one. <laughs> Hide the box in my office and have powdery fingers all day. <laughs> um, why would you cut them into quarters, to be fair? Why wouldn't you cut them all into six pieces? That way everybody gets to taste each one. That seems six, so stupid. Six pieces of a... Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably just eat one and run. That's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. I would wait till last. I'd wait until everyone else took one and... Depends on what kind of donuts they got, man. They got yeah. my favorite there. Yeah. I'm probably eating right. it. <laughs> they got ones I'm like, eh, they're all right. I'll probably just let everybody else eat them. Nobody's cutting them into quarters or six or nah, anything. To me, weird. it's more what world like is that? how I love that, aware am I that there's only five donuts and six people? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, because a... sometimes I'm not even, a, I'm just like, oh, there's donuts. I take one. I don't count how many people and how many donuts. Mm -hmm. It is kind of first come, first serve, you know? Yeah. I do that wrong compassion thing where I see five donuts and six people and I'm like, who the fuck got these donuts? Yeah. You didn't buy enough for all of us. Next time, make sure you do the you head count. The donut buyer. Right. <laughs> I'll fix this situation <laughs> for the next time. Now, come on, be where the donuts are. Come back to the present. Um, I'm eating a donut, probably. Uh, do you cry easily? Yes. No. Not since I was two. Only if things are really bad. Only if I'm in private. Never. This depends. So what are we constituting crying? Like literal tears running down your face? Or you know when your eyes just kind of fill up with water like they're oh, ready yeah, to? That happens. That's crying, right? Yeah, let's do that one. Okay. This just happened to me like right before the show. Somebody was telling oh, me like yeah, some really happens. great news and I was like, that's yeah. so great. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to so say that, that happens yeah. all the time. That happens okay. all the time. Yeah. Uh, do you know how to compartmentalize temporarily so you can be there for others? Yes, it's hard for me. <laughs> I do it on a permanent basis so I can be there for me. I don't need to do that, do I? And I wish. So I'm going to say yes, because it's actually like a job requirement for me. That's true. I have to yeah, do Yeah, I'm going to more say I hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm doing it. And I, I know I compartmentalize because I don't like to break down in front of the kids. Like mm. I, I do that maybe too much. 
Oh, yeah, then yes. Okay. Uh, do you like most people? Yes? No. Definitely most. I like about half. I'd say most. I like most people. Not So it's not a straight yes. It's a most people. Or Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I like sorry. people in general. This yeah. says define, like the third one. So it's yes, no, or define most. And I like about half. So are you saying yes? I'm saying yes. Okay. I'll go with yes. I'm right also now. a yes. I like most people. Mostly. It's kind of new for me, but I kind of like most people now. <laughs> if there is a news story about someone dying on the far side of the world and one about the same thing in your country, do you feel roughly the same empathy for the families? Of course. Yes. Zero. <laughs> no, it's sadder if they are more like me. And then I know I should, but I don't. I have an example of that. So when the, you know, the war broke out in Ukraine, I was like very emotionally like involved or whatever. And then somebody pointed out like the same shit's been happening in Afghanistan for 20 years. And I'm like, uh oh, like I realized my own bias. Well, for us too, our media is a big part of that. You know, what we mm -hmm. hear and what's reported because as soon as you heard that, you were like, oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was an awareness there. Like, oh, that's happening somewhere else, too. That really sucks. Yeah. But it's like when no one tells you, like, I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't really. keep Thanks. track Thanks. I've been feeling bad politics. about that. But I was yeah. like, wow. I, I only feel bad about people who look like me. What? Well, we don't report it. Right. We probably that's did true. when it started. <laughs> but 20 years later, it's like, what are we going to keep Well, it's the like the whole yeah. thing with that's the, you know, the, the basketball player that's over in. Yeah you know with the weed and got locked up in russia well there's thousands of people in fucking jail here for marijuana right now mm -hmm. you know and we don't give a fuck about them they stay in jail but this basketball player in russia is a tragedy it's like what the fuck mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. stupid but aren't their prisons like way worse i mean yeah. well Prison i guess good anywhere? Like, like russian <laughs> gulag yeah i mean uh, and to me like she was even more stupid because if I'm going to a foreign country, I'm really being careful about what the fuck I'm trying to do. I mean, we know they don't have the same rights as us. Like, what the? Why would you? Yeah. Take that risk, but hey, and I don't know that she deserves to be in jail. But then again, neither do the. Th I went to jail for a year for possession of marijuana. So, and now you can go buy it at the fucking store. <laughs> so it's right. Um. So for the news story, do we have the same amount of empathy? Yes. Yes. Okay. I would say yes. Do you believe in strong international alliances between your country and others? Yes. That's how peace is preserved and the weak protected. No, we should colonize the weak. No, free trade is bad because someone on TV said so. And yes, that's how our country can be strong. What was the first one again? Yes. That's how peace is preserved and the weak are protected. Uh, I don't like any of these answers. Yeah, I don't like any of these. So, how about we'll do yes or no? Do you believe in strong international alliances? Yes or no? <sighs> yeah, only because they're not offering that. like one world government. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you do anything to ensure your clothing is sweatshop labor free? No, not a fucking thing. I don't either. Um. I didn't. I don't even know how to look for that. Do you do anything to ensure your food, the food you eat, is cruelty free? No. Um, but I do when there's a local like, we get our meat from the local farm store. Like I, I try to do that. Like I buy my meat locally now and everything from a local farm. 
One of the answers is, I prefer it cruel. It tastes better. <laughs> uh, one of the answers is, I check I check for a couple labels from groups I trust. Um, that's what I do, too. I buy cruelty-free, like, hygiene products because, you know, like shampoo and soap and stuff because, but my family eats meat. I don't, but. What if the bunnies wanted shampooing? <laughs> In their eyes? <laughs> I don't look at everything, but. How about you, Billy? Cruelty tastes better? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't eat I eat cruelty food. <laughs> I don't pay attention. Okay. Uh, do you volunteer? Yes, we all volunteer. We're doing it right now. Yeah. How often do you do something nice for someone else just because? Daily? Or a couple times a month? Or early in dating? I do it all the time. <laughs> Definitely do it early in dating. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to say every day. Yeah, it's every day. Do something nice for someone else every mm -hmm. day. Be honest. How good a person are you? I'm okay, or I'm great, or I don't know, or I don't care. How good a person are you? Mm, I'm between the I'm okay and I'm great. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of there too. There's a part of me that's like, I don't care, but not for the reason that that probably means. Right. Mm. But just like I'm just trying to live and be the best person that I can. So I don't. Yeah. I, I don't care <laughs> yeah. to put it like a evaluate it for the right. sense of like everyone else to evaluate it. But it's right. just like I feel good about. Yeah. Who I'm being. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Do you sometimes help people because then they will owe you? No. No, that's wrong. Have you ever not come through for a friend because you just weren't in the mood? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Okay. Have you ever heard something really sad and just started laughing uncontrollably? Yeah. No. You've never watched America's Funniest Home Videos? Yeah. Ball shots? <laughs> Always funny. Oh, That's yeah. Get nailed mean, in the yeah. balls? That's terrible, guess, but yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Yes. For sure. <laughs> which, is a higher which is a higher virtue? Generosity or kindness? Uh, you can do kindness or generosity. Both are the same or both are for suckers. I say both are the same. Yeah, yeah. I'm both are the same. That was the last question. Okay. You got saint. You nice. Feel, you feel for everyone. When they are hurting, you feel for your friends. You feel for your friends' families. You feel for your friends' families' friends. Your heart bleeds whenever you clap eyes on a sad puppy or even a sad raccoon. Your compassion knows no bounds. I feel sad for my friends' families' friends' families. <laughs> Let's keep going. Now, uh, cool. Did you guys learn anything? I don't. I feel like I believe in compassion. I was already an expert on compassion before I got here. Well, there you go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I the wasn't an expert, but I definitely, in researching for this, felt terrible about the person that I was. <laughs> like, uh, I, I need fucking way more compassion in our society. Is fucked. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was. <laughs> I think thinking about this episode, I need more not one to one compassion because I feel like I got plenty of that. I need just more compassion, like out into the world hmm. in general. Like, just to, like, I need to stop othering different types of people and just have more compassion for large yeah. groups of people instead I of one. Do on okay one. there. I lack self compassion. I'm not very self compassionate at all. Interestingly, even though I teach self-compassion, I do notice that I struggle there as well. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I am hard on myself. Well, the Buddha said, Lurk looking after oneself, one looks after others. And looking after others, one looks after oneself. Mm -hmm. Perfect place to end.
Be well till next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.